Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hi guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the momentum factor. We explain the various ways momentum can be measured in stocks and other asset classes, and a few of the theories as to why momentum works in the markets. We also discuss how momentum can be combined with other fundamentals and explain why continuous momentum is better than lumpy momentum. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. So uh, one of the things we want to talk about is um, momentum and how you can select stocks um, using various momentum factors. Uh, Here at Validia, we run a lot of different strategies. Some are value, some are growth, but some utilize this concept of momentum and they do it in different ways. So what I thought we could talk about is first we can try to define what momentum is and you know talk about the various ways it can be measured um, and how it sort of is incorporated in the models that we run and then maybe some of the reasons or the theories as to why it works and and other unique ways that momentum can be um, combined with various things and you know other considerations that one would want to consider and look at when thinking about utilizing momentum so maybe to start if you wanted to give a overview of the different ways that momentum can be measured, and then we can talk about maybe the why behind momentum as a factor. Sure. You know, t- taking a step back, I think academic research sort of supports two major factors as being the biggest, you know, the factors with the biggest excess returns. And those two factors are value and momentum. So momentum is a really important factor. And it's a factor a lot of people don't completely understand because if you, if you look at something like value, buying, you know, paying less for a dollar of earnings or paying less for a dollar of cash flow, that's something that makes sense to a lot of people. But buying something just because it keeps going up is something that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But momentum is just as robust a factor as value. And in a lot of ways, it's a more consistent factor, which we'll probably talk about later. But the, the general definition of momentum is just buying things that have gone up. I mean, that, that's effectively what it is. It, it, it capitalizes on the fact that investors tend to underestimate the good news going on with companies. And so they don't bid up stock prices as much as they should in the intermediate term. And so if, if you look at a period of, say, three, three to 12 months, you can buy stocks that have gone up and they continue going up more than the market and they produce an excess return. Um, and to go, to go back to your question, talking about the different kinds of momentum, there really are two different kinds, time series and cross-sectional. So time series is judging something relative to itself. So a good example of time series momentum is trend following. So if I want to, say, exit a position in an asset or a stock, if it breaks below its 50-day moving average, that's an example of time series momentum because all I need are the prices of that specific asset in order to implement that strategy. So I'm just judging it against itself. Then cross-sectional momentum is judging things against other assets. And so that's what's commonly used in stock you know, factor selection strategies, you want to invest in the stocks that have the most momentum or the, the stocks that have gone up the most relative to their peers. And, there, you know, there's a few different ways to measure that. Relative strength has been a popular one for a long time, which just ranks all stocks 
based on how far they've gone up over any given time period, say one year, and then assigns a score of 99 for the stocks that have gone up the most and one for the stocks that have gone up the least. And then if you're, if you're following a relative strength strategy, you would invest in those stocks that have the 99. Um, and, and we can talk about some more advanced ones a little bit later on in the podcast, but that, that basically is the general way that momentum works. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, when you hear like, you know, the market's below its 200-day moving average. And so, and there's a lot of, um, you know, timing models based on moving averages. So something like if the market falls below its 200-day moving average for, you know, two months in a row, you know, we're going to get out of the market. That's something, that's like the time series uh, momentum. Whereas if you're scoring stocks or ranking stocks based on their price momentum or price things relative to each other, that's cross-sectional, right? Right. Okay. And cross-sectional will be the one, you know, when you're talking about stock selection strategies, cross-sectional will be the one that's more common. That, that's what you're typically going to look at because you want to rank, if, if you want to identify a portfolio of stocks, you want to rank it against all other stocks. And so the way to do that is cross-sectional to compare them to each other. Right. And um, there's been a, a lot of research done on the optimal time period with momentum. So you don't want to look at, let's say, cross-sectional momentum on a two-year or year and a half type basis. And you also don't want to look at it on a you know few weeks. So there's sort of this optimal period of looking at cross-sectional momentum, like intermediate term momentum. Right. So momentum tends to mean revert in both the short term and the long term. And so you want to get right in that intermediate term, which is say a three to 12 month period. That's probably the optimal period. And when you look at the metrics people are using, like the, a common metric in academic testing is something called the 12 minus mo- one momentum. And it takes advantage of exactly what we were just talking about. It uses 12 months of momentum, which is an intermediate term period, but it excludes the most recent month because of what I said before, because short term momentum tends to mean revert. You don't want the most recent month in there. So what you effectively are doing is from month two to month 12, you're using that as your momentum indicator. And, and that's sort of an intermediate term momentum, in, momentum indicator that academic research has shown works over time. So, for instance, if we want to find the top 2% of stocks based on the 12 minus, minus one month momentum, all we would do is we would rank the stocks by their 12 minus one month momentum and then select that group of stocks. So you're just ranking all stocks by their 12 month return, then you're minusing the most recent month, and then from there you get your 12 minus one month momentum, and, and that's how you can back into, let's say, the top scoring stocks using that metric. Right. So you would exclude the most recent month and you would go from the next month to 12 months. And that would be your momentum number. And then you would just rank all stocks by that. And then depending on if that was your only criteria, you would buy the stocks with the most momentum. But as we'll talk about in a minute, most of our momentum strategies have some additional criteria beyond that to look at sort of the quality of the momentum. Right. So maybe before we get into some of those strategies, let's just sort of try to talk about why momentum might work. So I mean, I think you hit on it before. There's a tendency maybe for investors to underestimate good news with companies in the near term. So if a company has really good earnings, um, there is a tendency for it takes time for investors to realize that. And as more and more investors realize it, more and more investors come in and they boost the, you know, more demand for the stock and therefore there's more positive momentum. So that's that's one theory as to why momentum works. Are there others you can think of? 
No, I mean, that that's the main fear theory, and that's the behavioral theory, and that's yep. basically the opposite of why value investing works. You know, Investors tend to overestimate the problems with a company in the short term, and that's what leads to value working. You can buy those stocks where the problems have been overestimated. And then in, in the case of momentum, they tend to underestimate how good things are. And so you can buy those stocks, and at least over an intermediate term period, you can generate an excess return. There also is a second explanation, which is the risk-based explanation. But I think most people think with momentum, the behavioral explanation explanation is the more important explanation, but the risk-based explanation would be just what it says, which is that momentum stocks tend to be a little bit more risky than the market, and so you get compensated for that risk. But I think unlike value, momentum, the behavioral explanation tends to be, I think, at least for me, a more important explanation than the risk-based explanation. Yeah, I mean, the only two other things that I've heard talked about with momentum is you can have the underreaction, but then you can have the overreaction as well. So you can have like a hurting effect that can happen in the market where you start to get more and more investors sort of piling into these stocks and that can make the stock price go up. And that's kind of like the story stocks when a stock gets, I mean, if you think of maybe cannabis stocks or some of these stocks that, you know, had crazy growth expectations as that hurting effect can cause at least in the short run prices to maybe go have stronger momentum than they may have otherwise had. Um, the other, I think, very interesting theory, and this goes kind of a level deeper is, and I heard this on a podcast with, uh, it was the AQR, AQR podcast with Wes Gray and Cliff Asnes, where they were talking about the theory of re reflexivity, which is basically stocks that are exhibiting really strong positive momentum, their shares are doing really well. So because of that, they're for... For instance, they're able to maybe recruit better talent or they're able to use their their the premium in their stock price to, you know, do acquisitions that add value to the company. So, I mean, there's a lot of different theories out there, I think, but there, you know, those are just kind of additional things that as to why momentum might work that are somewhat behavioral. No, those are great explanations as well, and I, I would definitely recommend that podcast as well. It was uh, called The Curious Investor, I believe, was AQR's podcast, and we can put a link to it in the show notes, but that, that episode with Wes and Cliff Asnes is really good. Yeah, okay. Um, all right, so let's talk about a few of um, other ways that you know momentum can be used in these strategies. So one of the strategies that we extracted from an academic paper is um, twin momentum, which basically combines price momentum and fundamental momentum. Do you just want to talk about sort of that concept of how those two things can be married into one investment strategy? Sure. They're, they're very interrelated because if, if you think about it, if the price of a stock is going up over time, something is likely causing that price to go up. And, and typically that is some sort of momentum in the fundamentals of the company. And, you know, you can measure fundamental momentum in many different ways. But in theory, if, if a stock is going up, you've got sales going up or EPS going up or, or something's getting better. And so that's the whole concept of twin momentum. The, the concept of twin momentum is let's pair both of those together. So let's find stocks that have strong price momentum, but also have strong fundamental momentum. And our, our implementation of twin momentum is based on a paper by someone called Dashan Huang. And what he found in the paper is when he added fundamental momentum to price momentum, he essentially doubled his excess return. And so he got significantly higher excess return by using both concepts together as opposed to just using price momentum on its own. One of the other interesting findings that came from um, the book Quantitative Momentum, which is another strategy we follow, which was written by Dr. Wes Gray and Jack Vogel, was that momentum consistency was an important concept when looking for uh, high momentum stocks. So do you want to just maybe sh you know, shake, shake out what that 
concept is and why it could be important? Yeah, they, they found that the more the momentum is sort of a straight line up as opposed to, you know, big up and down fits and starts, the more predictive it, uh, it is of the future. And so what they did is they looked at they looked at momentum in the past year and they looked at the total number of trading days and they looked at the number of those trading days that were up days versus down days. And the higher percentage of the up days you had, that's basically an indicator of how consistent the momentum is. So once they sorted by 12 minus 1 momentum, they then used this as their final ranking criteria. And so they looked at it and said, all right, I have the top 10% of my database that have the most momentum, but now let's look for the ones that are the most consistent, and those are the ones we're going to put in our portfolio. And they found that that strengthened returns over time. That makes sense. I mean, if you have two stocks and one, let's say they're both up 100% and one was trading at $50 and just because of some event, you know, doubles overnight, um, you know, that, that stock is going to show very strong momentum. But if you have a stock that over the last 12 months, let's say is, you know, month in and month out returned like 8% or 9% or whatever it is to get you to 100%. I mean, that momentum consistency is a much more favorable characteristic, I think, in sort of the stocks you'd want to hold if you're using uh, momentum as a factor. Yeah, you know, a good example would be if you looked at like a biotech that gets a drug approved and they the stock goes up 400%, but then it, you know, doesn't really go up anywhere or it goes down for the rest of the year. That would have very strong momentum just looking at it on its own, but you would favor a company that sort of had that consistent earnings growing over time and the price is going up over time. You would favor something like that over the biotech. And if you didn't use a consistency measure, those two stocks could end up looking the same. Um. Momentum strategies have certain characteristics. Obviously, if you're using momentum as a stock selection strategy, you're probably going to be a little bit more active in terms of the turnover in the portfolio. So, um, you know, those are, I think, things that investors would have to take into consideration, like the transaction costs, the taxes, stuff like that, that if you're going to implement a momentum-based strategy, um, you know, you'd have to be aware of those uh, potential pitfalls um, with an active stock selection model like that. Yeah, whenever whenever you have more turnover, obviously there are, are costs that come with that turnover. And, you know, we're in zero commissions now, so direct transaction costs aren't that high. But indirect transaction costs, you know, the bid-ask spread, those costs still exist and taxes still exist. So if you're, if you're in a taxable account and you're taking lots of short-term gains, that's obviously not a positive thing. So relative to another factor like value that's lower turnover, those are negatives that at least have to be considered for momentum. Um, and, and the one other thing I would say that's negative about momentum is momentum does tend to struggle when you get these shifts in the market. And so if, for example, right now, if momentum is riding up the Facebooks and the Netflixes of the world, and we get which the thing that we've been hoping for forever, which never comes, which is the, the spike in small cap value stocks on the backside of this, if that happens, it's going to take momentum a while to switch. You know, that regime change is going to be hard for it to pick up at the beginning. So it's going to stay in those other stocks for a while, while these small cap value stocks rally, and then eventually it'll pick up the small cap value stocks. But in the interim, momentum will struggle relative to some of the other factors and, and relative to the market typically. One of the um, things that's talked about a lot is combining momentum with value because they tend to be, at least within stocks, you know, they kind of balance each other out. They're somewhat uncorrelated, I guess. So we know some practitioners that actually do that. They may, you know, create a portfolio, let's say of 100 stocks, 50 might be momentum, 50 might be value. So in the event that you get this jockeying about performance of different styles and segments of the market, you know, those two strategies sort of can diversify out and complement each other. Yeah, no, that's a great way to do it. And I think 
and multi-factor investing is better for most people than trying to pick an individual factor because of exactly what you said. The factors, you know, all tend to have long periods where they struggle. You know, another interesting use of momentum is I, I think DFA is the one that does this. You know, th they'll couple value with momentum by using it as part of their buy criteria. So they'll find cheap stocks, but they'll wait for some degree of momentum to establish itself mm. before they'll actually add the stock to the portfolio. So there, there are a bunch of interesting ways to take momentum and to combine it with value. Of the strategies we run, um, what ones, I mean, we have, I mean, a lot of them have, as you mentioned, the uh, twin momentum uses momentum, the small cap growth model based on the Motley Fool uses momentum. We run our uh, model based on uh, the CanSlim approach that uses momentum. Uh, Multi-factor model with... Uh, that uses momentum as well yeah, as part of yeah. its criteria. Some of the O'Shaughnessy strategies based on what, work on, what works on Wall Street use momentum. Um, what am I missing? Well, anyway, you might have all of it. It's, it's certainly, you know, next to value, it's, it's certainly the most popular factor and the most proven factor over time. So, you know, in all types of strategies, whether they're multi-factor strategies or whether, whether they're primarily momentum strategies, it, it is, you know, next to value. It's the thing that appears most in the strategies we follow. Yeah, probably the purest momentum strategy would be the one uh, quantitative momentum. Um, and then the rest of them are using momentum and they're coupling it with, with other fu uh, fundamental factors. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good overview on momentum. I mean, I think we could talk about this a lot more. It is, you know, because when we first started modeling and, and following these strategies, you know, we were mostly using value-based approaches. But over, over the years, you know, we've added more and more strategies that seem to use this momentum factor that have, um, you know, proven long-term results behind them. So momentum can be pretty strong and pretty robust and, you know, especially when it's coupled with some of these other fundamental factors. Yeah, you know, like I said at the beginning, a lot of people tend to discount momentum just because they don't understand it as well and it doesn't make sense to say, all right, this stock's already up a lot, let's buy more of it because, you know, people just, that's our, our natural reaction as human beings is not to do that. But the, the academic research is really strong and, you know, momentum should probably, anyone who's, who's using factors, momentum should be some part of their portfolio. Great. Okay, so it's a good way to wrap this episode up. So thank you everyone for watching and we hope to see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at @jjcarbono. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.